Welcome to Writers' Festival Radio. My name is Sean Wilson. I'm the Artistic Director of the Ottawa International Writers' Festival. Thank you for listening and for donating. Your support allows us to continue to celebrate and spotlight great writing and important ideas. We're broadcasting from the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg. We recognize our obligation as settlers on this land to work to repair the harms perpetrated upon Indigenous communities and acknowledge the ongoing trauma colonialism has inflicted and continues to inflict on First Nations, Métis, and Indigenous peoples. Our host today is Manahil Bandukwala, winner of Room Magazine's Emerging Writer Award in 2019. In addition to her solo chapbooks, she's worked collaboratively with Conyer Clayton to write Sprawl and with the Collective Seven to write Tower, which came out earlier this year. Manahil's guest today is poet Leslie Roach. Born and raised in Montreal, Leslie is a lawyer who worked for the United Nations for 10 years. She's currently based here in Ottawa, where she works for the Supreme Court of Canada. Her debut collection, Finish This Sentence, is about a personal experience in living with racism and healing from its distorting effects on the self. In an interview with All Lit Up, she says, My writing has been enhanced by seeing the trappings of the mind and calling those trappings out. I am able to write from a place of stillness and conscious awareness. Spiritual teachers have enabled me to go forward into the world more empowered, daring to respond to what is around me. I believe this is a profoundly powerful way of being and has the ability to affect change for the better in our world. I try as much as possible to be present. Here's Manahil Bandukwala in conversation with Leslie Roach about her debut collection, Finish This Sentence. My name is Manahil Bandukwala, and I'm here talking to Leslie Roach about her poetry collection with Mwenzi House, Finish This Sentence. Um, Congratulations, Leslie, on your book. Uh, One of the things that kind of really stuck out to me as I was reading was the form that you use, um, which is like very short lines, allows for a very kind of powerful way of me like like finishing the sentence as I'm reading. And I really liked how that spoke to the title of the book. So I was hoping you could talk a bit about that. Wow. (laughs) Thank you so much for the question. It is such a pleasure to talk with you, Manahil, because I've seen your voice out there. I've seen you, I've seen that you've been in Ottawa like I have. And I see, I'm curious to get to know more about you. And it's really an honor to know that you've read the book. Um, So thank you for reading it. Um, I really put, finish this sentence out into the world because I really believed in the message it has. And I believe it essentially has a positive message for the world. Um, And for those who see the positive message, I'm very much encouraged and it really gives me hope. And there's so many people out there who have helped me along the way. Um, My publisher, Mwenzi House, I thank them for publishing Finish This Sentence. I thank um, Thomas Baribault from the Dessert Store 
in Saint Laurent Mall here in Ottawa who saw the message of that book and has been my my number one advocate in terms of getting the positive message of finish this sentence out there. He saw that positive message and we connected. Um, How did that happen? Um, like just because it's an art <laughs> store. Like I love to yeah. I've been there, get my art supplies from there. So I'm just curious how. I know it is wild. So he heard an interview I gave on CBC with uh, Adrian Harewood. Adrian Harewood interviewed me for his show, Our Ottawa. And I was so thrilled. I couldn't believe that, you know, they the book found its way and people were contacting me for it. So I was so humbled and shocked and super happy. So the manager of the dessert store in Saint Laurent Mall saw that episode of Our Ottawa. It touched him so much to the core that he reached out to my publisher, has been behind my publisher since then to advocate for the book. He had, he contacted the school boards. I don't know how it exactly happened, but suddenly both school boards here in Ottawa were their students who participate in a co-op program at Dessert. Um, okay, I'm, I'm, they, um, so Tama got in touch with the school board, said, oh, there's this wonderful book, promoted the book, and had the students honor finish this sentence by creating artwork inspired by poems in the book. So part of their co-op program involves designing a store window for the mall. It's a massive, massive window display that had the students' artwork that had been inspired by my book. And since then, I've been having Zoom calls with the students, you know, being their number one advocates. And like the book actually resonated with them, with all kinds of of young people who are seeing that it's essentially a book about saying no to any labels that society is placing on you and saying yes to who you truly are, irrespective of what that means. And it's just, yeah, like you're the one who's free to define you. If you want to put a bunch of labels on yourself, fine. If you don't want any labels at all, fine. Just be free to be you as long as you're not hurting anybody. You know, so that message speaks to all kinds of people. And I'm so encouraged that it does because then you realize you're not alone. And gosh, just coming back to to your question. <laughs> Sorry, I do tend to ramble on. But um, so thank you for that, because sometimes my writing in writing in the way I do with short line breaks, um, you know, I was wondering, okay, is that conventional? Is that the, you know, what will people say? But I'm like, that's how my writing comes across. And that's how it feels mo most natural to end the line there. And so finish this sentence was also about that, because it's funny, because my husband, 
he often says, you don't finish your sentences, you know, and like we've had that running debate. So I thought, oh, my gosh, it, it is true. I tend not to finish my sentences. And he I think he rightly pointed out that by not finishing my sentences in my daily life, but not in my poetry, <laughs> it's different, but not finishing my natural flow of thought, sometimes it's a an indication of where I'm blocked, you know? And he's like, if you just go towards the natural conclusion, you might find a resolution. Like, why are you not finishing <laughs> through? But in my poetry though, um, the line breaks are real and the line breaks are there for a purpose. They're there for effect. And I feel like that sometimes I write in longer sentences, sometimes in shorter. It's yeah, my, I realize my poetry comes across in very different ways. And I just try to give it the, the space it needs. Um, and when when it's a truly good poem, I realize I don't need to edit it from the beginning. It will express itself like properly the first time when I'm most in my flow. Just recently, I've learned how to edit myself a little bit, but where I'm editing too much, sometimes I realize, you know, that one, maybe just let it go. <laughs> it's not your best work. It's still okay, but it's not your best, best work. So that, that but I'm encouraged because my, my writing lately has been so prolific. It's been, it always has been, if I give it the chance, you know, but that also because I write longhand, I don't type. So it, I have the additional challenge of having tons of notebooks that require transcription, which I don't have the time to do. And it's uh, it's only I can do that work. Uh, like it's not like I don't want to delegate. It's not work I can delegate to anyone. So I'm left with like a zillion notebooks um, that need transcription. So that work of, of triaging and going through the work is enormous and it's been haunting me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really like what um, you said about like, students and working with students, because I feel like sometimes there can be a sense from especially high school students where poetry is this big daunting thing so I love that your book like they, they took the poems and they worked with them in a art form that they kind of are familiar with yes and, um wow I, I love that's that really love really that. wonderful Thank you. Oh, that's such a great observation. Thank you. Um, and you also mentioned like, like people being able to, to take away the positive message of the book and something that I was seeing as I was reading throughout was how um, there's, there's just like systemic issues when it comes to racism and those can't necessarily be solved without the people who are perpetuating that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. kind of taking action. But mm -hmm. there is a, kind of something very nice about seeing an affirmation of experience right. in the book. And I wanted oh, to wow. ask like what healing mm -hmm. this affirmation can mm -hmm. bring and how like just that mm -hmm. can 
not solve mm-hmm. everything, but at least like give yes. that sense of positive outlook and mm-hmm. kind of show you that wow. you're not alone. Exactly. Oh my gosh, you touch on so many points there. Um, because, right, that's why I wrote it. You know, when I came to recognize that my experience was not unique. In reading certain authors, such as Toni Morrison, uh, Maya Angelou, um, Audre Lorde, James Baldwin, and listening to what Nina Simone had to say um, through her voice and her music and her art and her just general whole life path, Um, These people, when you listen to what they were writing, it's like, oh, my goodness, they they knew they know they they articulated the experience of being black in a society where you're basically, yes, you're effectively criminalized for it at at one or more levels, depending on your, you know, the luck of the draw what kind of family you were born into, who were your influences, um, who were your teachers? Did you, were you lucky like me to have good teachers? Um, were you lucky like me to have good parents? No, many people have horrible parents. Some people have horrible just life circumstances in general. You know, some of them, despite the horrible circumstances, still manage to to get out of it but that's not necessarily common at all you know there are challenges people have all kinds of challenges from mental health disabilities um race religion you know people are persecuted um in all kinds of different ways uh, um you know the trans community um lb TGQ plus two community, all of, you know, indigenous people, oh my goodness, they're suffering. You know, they've suffered for for so, so long. You know, so all of these things, people are, are starting to talk, you know, starting to see, you know, this evidence has always been there. George Floyd wasn't the first. Um, But because there were cameras, technology is helping people to see what people have been enduring all these years and to be able to disseminate it widely. And there's all kinds of uh, discord in society over that now. And the way the conversation is going right now is extremely bad. It's extremely bad. And you know, the divide is widening, you know, despite what, or maybe because what's being revealed, you know, these deep, uh, deep rooted issues that are coming to the forefront, colonialism. And it's, it's kind of, it's very disturbing that combined with the pandemic and what we're all feeling now, it's a very odd time. People are feeling isolated and I've been reflecting on this isolation lately in my work. And, you know, we're feeling all kinds of strange things at this time in our history. Um, You know, it's just, 
yeah, it's an odd time. And I'm curious to see, I guess, how things will go. And that's why right now people need positive messages. And I think I, I, I do practice mindfulness. I try to consciously call myself back to the moment every moment. So now it's a habit. And that has been extremely beneficial to me. And that those are the reflections I'm having because I'd like to spread positivity because people who have suffered have still found a way to rejoice and to make their music and to make their art. And those students, I'm so grateful they found the message that's in finish this sentence. You know, some it had very, very powerful effect on them in in kind of liberating their voice and helping them to also see that, you know, maybe pursuing a master's in fine arts is not for you. You can still practice your art. You can still make a living with your art without having to do a master's in fine arts. You know, that was another point for me as a poet, you know, recognizing I don't have to do a master's in fine arts in order to pursue my God-given ability to be a poet and to write nicely and to be able to to get to the core of a message with my writing, which is Mm -hmm. my passion, which I've done my whole life. Um, What you're saying just reminded me of the poem, Fate Talks to Faith. and just like the, it, it's a short poem in the second stanza of it. But what about us? Are we the lucky, morally fit ones that get tortured so that we get to transcend? And I think like there's another like really evocative um, aspect of the collection is like, you don't sugarcoat when you're right. talking about healing. And I think that's so important because it's not, oh, wow. it's not just everything is, okay and you can shed it all away and transcend it's like you really need to give back to that sense of affirmation to what's happening and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. directly call out and go head to head with and maybe find a sense of solidarity and that's that's Mm -hmm. more where this healing Mm -hmm. comes from rather than it's something you can just ignore right exactly and it's it's important to recognize it in order to transcend, recognize that you're suffering. It is suffering. It is not human to have to endure racism. It is not human. It is a crime against humanity to be a racist, honestly. Well, you have another poem that you have, Why Racism is Dangerous, even for you. Right. It strips you of your humanity, and we could act accordingly. Exactly. Yes, yes. Like, um, bringing it back to George Floyd, um, it is the most sad video I have ever watched in my life, and I hope the saddest one I ever will watch, but there are a number of other sad videos just like it, but no one had a video camera 
then when those things, when those atrocities were being committed. Um, yes, humanity is what it is. So a human can have those sorts of behaviors, apparently. But to me, like, you have to recognize that there are certain traits in humanity which it becomes a, a difficult discourse because I have to say, oh, yes, that person is human. You touch them, they're human. But their behavior to me is so inhuman, actually, that I have to question. And it's, it's, it's a, you know, and these are the thoughts that I have and thoughts that I prefer not to have because they're not helpful to me, but I recognize it. Um, in order to move on, and, and honestly, I've found a way to move on. I don't know what the next moment will bring, but I know what this moment is giving me right now. Right now, I'm actually okay, let's say. You know, I've managed to work through the mental issues, the mental health issues that I acquired due to racist encounters, but also due to conditioning. Society conditions us to be a certain way. And if one is not in that way, um, you start to question yourself. It's only natural. It's peer pressure. It's keeping up with the Joneses. It's all of that. And some of us have more hang-ups around those things than the others, just based on how we were brought up. I was brought up in a, in a household where keep up, keeping up appearances was important. So I deal with that, um, you know, questioning, am I wanting this thing because I, Leslie, want it? Or is it something that I'm programmed to want by my society? So I'm very conscious of those things. I'm, great, I'm grateful that I have always been conscious it, on a certain level, you know, since young, you know, I kind of kind of knew like something's odd around here with our, our way of being, you know, humans, how we are with each other. I knew something was weird. So I was born that way, you know, which I guess some people are, some people are, there's, there are spectrums, you know. We all fall somewhere on sp various spectrums, I suppose. So that's how I am. And that's how in my writing helped me. Since I was young, I've been writing these things, documenting how I've been feeling based on how society was treating me or how I perceive society is treating me. So, so it's, it's been an interesting journey, but a complicated one. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, at this point, I'd like to invite you to read from some of oh. finish the sentence. I feel like I've read some of the poems from it, and I'd really like to hear them no, in your thank voice. Thank you for reading them. I was so touched by that. Um, yeah, like I was going to read Manifest, but Manifest is so long that it <laughs> it's the longest poem in the book. So I think I'm instead going to read um, I Never Knocked and maybe Get Out, which is right after it in the book. It's not that long. Yeah, please do. Okay, thank you. 
I never knocked. I've wondered why I never knocked when I was left out in the dark hallway. It was dark in that building, and I was scared. And yet I never knocked to the voices inside at the party to let me in. I just cried. So just a word about that one. That one actually relates to an, an experience I had when I was about five or six years old. My parents <laughs> and my brother and sister and I went to a party. And lo and behold, I was the youngest of them all. I, I'm the baby in the family. So we went to this party. It was at an, in an apartment building. The apartment building had hallways which were pitch black. I had never seen that in my life, like an apartment. I don't know if the power was out, but I don't think so. It was the oddest thing because usually the apartment building corridors would be lit. This one, they were pitch black. And lo and behold, when the host of the party opened the door for my parents and us to go in, I was left outside. I was left outside and it was so it was pitch black in the hallway of this massive apartment building. I'm like five or six years old and I just started crying. I didn't knock for people to let me in and I could hear at some point. I don't know how long I'd been out there, maybe three, four minutes. And I uh, and I was terrified and I heard, you know, through the door, my mother saying, but, but where's Leslie? Where, where, you know, where is she hiding? Is she hiding? And then I heard the voices inside the party. Well, no, we don't know. Like, where is she? And then all of a sudden, my mother opens the door and she sees me there. And she's like, why didn't you knock? <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, I don't know. I was just terrified. So I couldn't even, I was so terrified that I couldn't call for help. And that incident has has stayed with me since that time. You know, like we're in so much pain. We it's like I was so terrified. I didn't have the capacity to ask for help. And I find that such a sad situation. And it's um it rep represents my blockage, which was unblocked by my husband when he told me, when I revealed to him how bad this racism has affected me, that he said, okay, why don't you, you remember the movie A Beautiful Mind when the voices, when the, the main character knew that the people he was seeing weren't real, they were just fake like uh, fake characters in his life, they didn't really exist, that he could just, he realized they weren't real because they never aged. And so that's how I started thinking about my thoughts. You know, I started claiming power over my thoughts, knowing that, you know what, these are just thoughts in my mind. Okay, I know they are based on real experience. So you ha I have internalized feeling powerless. I've, I have internalized feeling weak. I've internalized feeling like just you know, just like crap, not being able to go outside sometimes because I have a fear of racist encounters. So I started to see those things as separate 
from myself, try to say, okay, I know they're there, but just let them walk walk alongside you. Let your thoughts walk alongside you. They're distant from you. It takes enormous courage to do that, but do it anyways. And from there, I really think I found my, my liberation and my happiness. I took back my joy. And that is the greatest rebellion, just taking back your joy, staying with your bliss and just walking your walk in your bliss that doesn't hurt anybody that is just happy and positive and confident. And so it's been it's been a nice journey. And I that started in 2018 for me. Um, and it's right after because finish this sentence really for me represents um you know, a cathartic experience where I'm saying, okay, this has healed me. This experience, I am healed of it and it has nothing to do with me. I'm my own person. I'm free to define how I am in society. And that's it. Everybody could just leave me alone, you know, leave me out of it. I'm not here to debate I'm just here to just, I'm here living my happiness. And, you know, if people, I've found great people who want to talk positive things with me. You know, I, I have a friend, Kayla, she did the, the photo for the back of my book. She's become a good friend. She saw the positive message and finished the sentence. So I didn't know her before asking her to do the photo for the back of my book. But once once she's heard what it was for and she's like, oh my gosh, she hadn't read the book yet. She's like, oh my goodness. Wow. I love that topic. And she, you know, we just, it just is one of those meetings in life where you're like, oh my gosh, this has, this was, this encounter was meant to be. And I've been increasingly meeting people like that. So, you know, I think one of the poem in the book, um, the poems in the books uh, in my book says that, Basically, you know, I, I'm always searching for my people, you know, I'm searching for um, a guru, but I found my gurus, it's okay, now I'm good on that level. <laughs> but, but, you know, I found my gurus, I, I, I've found those people speaking positive messages that resonate with me, I know how to help myself when I get into a little depression you know, it doesn't last long anymore, because those feelings are intolerable to me right now. So even now, I go maybe half an hour, and then I'm like, you know what, I'm not taking this bad feeling from myself. You know, I need to get past this because life is short. Um, you know, I have a wonderful family, we want to have a good time together, we don't want to have to worry about any issues. So just being positive and and thankful for for the journey and the people I've encountered and the family I've had and everything. So it's, it's been, it's been fun. It's so, well, it's just like so nice. You know, I think with poetry, especially like you, you have a poem and the, the poem is kind of, it's, it's a part of the story and then getting to hear, I always find like getting to hear the poet talk about where that story or where the poem built from. And there's so many, there's so many paths that lead into the poem and some are, some are direct where like the, 
the story of like being out in the hallway, but then there's all of these other indirect paths um, that mm-hmm. lead into that. Right. Um, and I think yes. those are just always so interesting to hear and also not like not not all poets write like this but there is a great deal of taking from real life and once you write the poem you're still you're still continuing the journey that led to the making of the poem so where are you after the poem has been written um right oh my gosh that's uh, such a wow thank you (laughs) for noticing because wow hearing um hearing that articulation that you you've take like that you're able to give to to what the poems did for you is so precious because sometimes I I guess subconsciously I know that's what's happening it 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 is affirming and it is um it's nice to to hear that feedback um especially when a book um, like finish this sentence, you know, um, I'm never sure how much distribution it really has or, you know, how many people know it. Um, And I really hope that because it's such a true um, representation, I feel of, of my experience and because really feeling that the personal is political and there's so many messages in the book for all kinds of different people. And I really hope that I did it, did that sort of work justice um, in the book. And I just, I, I want to be able to have a good distribution for the book so yeah thank you for every opportunity I thank the writers festival for interviewing me and giving me a voice ever since the book started to be published you know even I think right before the book was officially launched writers festival well verse fest actually reached out to me and you know asked me to host something you know it was my first time hosting anything of the kind and you know now almost a year later not even a year later I've done so many interviews I've done so many events like when I was lining up all the collaborations I've had with different people in the Canadian literary scene and otherwise, even the government asked me to do a poem for Women's Day, the federal government, which was very like, wow, okay. Um, <laughs> it was an honor, an absolute honor to do that. And and I've had many opportunities. Um, it's been hard to keep up with my nine to five job along <laughs> along with having a family and um, and writing and having time for all these events. So I haven't been able to actually focus on the writing because of all of these things. You know, I have to do the events rather than write. But now I'm coming to a point where I feel like, oh, I can actually focus on the writing again. You know, I need to put that front and center. And my friend Tama from Desair, the manager at Desair, um, and um, Max Black, which is um, the instructor there, the educator, 
teacher at Dessert, who is equally wonderful, um, they are both behind me and promising an intervention in March 2022 if they don't see book number two. <laughs> <laughs> so there's pressure. Yeah, I think that's um, <laughs> like writing is more fun and fulfilling to do when there's a community around you. Because as you said, you put this book out into the world, but you don't know how it's landing necessarily even yeah. though even though it it is that's yeah somebody you know. could be burning my book somewhere I don't know <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah just having having a community around you and people yeah. who support and oh man writing yeah. that it Oof. just it tells you that what you're what you're doing is you should keep doing it <laughs> Right. You know, I had the honor of being on the jury for Ottawa's English language poet laureate. And that was an absolute honor. I think we made a fabulous choice in Albert Dumont. Um, I say it in French and I'm not even sure whether he pronounces it in a French way. It's just that's my Montreal coming out. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's been a, a nice run, really. Like, um, like, you know, finish this sentence, ironically landed in the Supreme Court's library, um, which is an absolute honor. I was so thrilled. Um, full disclosure, so I, my nine to five job is at the Supreme Court. Um, so the fact that I just had started, I only started there when the book launched. So I was, it, it was like, a, like they happened at the same time. I started working there, the book launched, you know, and then all of a sudden they heard my CBC interview, um, a first interview I had with CBC on the book and they got the book for their library. And it's now part of the anti-Black uh, racism internal um, internal documentation that people can consult on anti-Black racism. So that's an absolute honor. Um, and yeah, that that's uh, it's been a, a a fun run, and and I, I have commitments, you know. And now I'm so excited because I'll be launching. Um, a journaling workshop. That's the plan um, starting in 2022 at some time because journaling is what I do. It's what I've done since young. And it's only relatively recently that I've come to recognize that my journaling is done in this poetic form. So, so I have a, a wealth of material. I'm grateful for that. But uh, yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is that's incredible. And I think just support from obviously other poets, but then also people who aren't poets and right. like poetry is landing with them. Um, it's so true. Like um, I was contacted by this uh, organization in the U.S. called the Book lovers foundation they essentially support school librarians to get good books for their libraries so i was absolutely shocked that this u.s uh, entity 
found their their director contacted me and asked me to be on their book club, their summer book club that attracts like uh, I can't remember the numbers, but it's like a massive like in the thousands of participants which is wild, you know, librarians across the US, you know, and they're doing great work. Uh, Shout out to them because um, it's there that I also learned that finish this sentence has a market in that sort of young adult range as well. You know, just like Desair, through the partnership with Desair, I learned that, yeah, their market, they're, they're telling grade 11 and 12 students about my book. And I never thought that was the case. And uh, yeah, it's great because in talking with other writers like yourself and other people in the community, you're, you're echoing back to me what I need to hear that um, because one can doubt oneself, you know, in terms of one's art and craft and expression and, and, you know, it's nice to hear that you're not alone and how you're feeling. You know, everybody needs to make a living and making a living as a poet, which would be my <laughs> ideal. I would love to just do that. But the yeah. well, but, you know, through my friend Tama and Max from Desair again, they made me see that, you know, you wouldn't have been the person who wrote finish this sentence had you started maybe your writing path at 18 years old mm-hmm. and, and just focused on being a writer, yeah, your writing is enhanced by your whole life experience. And that when they told me that it's something, you know, I, I guess I was getting to, but they just cut to the chase and mm-hmm. they, they pinpointed that, that sort of um, flaw in my own thinking, mm-hmm. which you know, once you see that flaw, you're like, oh my gosh, that empowers me. Thank you. <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're just getting to the end of our time, but I wanted to ask if you would share another poem. Oh, thank you. Sure. I think I'll read Power and Laying Low because they're both short. Power. Thank you for excluding me so much. I got so fed up that I found my way out. Laying low. The thing is, they walk by thinking I'm not fine. I'm fine laying low like that. They don't know what I know. Yeah, so those two poems really, they're about just you know, finding your way and biding your time and doing so very carefully. I'm so glad you chose to read them because I feel like they speak to just the entire conversation we've um, been having. Right. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much. Um, oh, finish the sentence you. was really incredible and congratulations on your success with it. Oh, thank you so much, Mahatma Hill. It was such a pleasure talking to you. I hope to talk again soon. Absolutely. As always, I want to thank you for listening and for supporting authors and booksellers through these difficult times. Our official bookseller is Perfect Books. And wherever you are right now, there's an independent bookseller nearby who would be more than happy to sell you some great poetry. 
If you enjoy the podcast or any of our virtual programming, please consider making a charitable donation. I want to thank the Ottawa Public Library, the Government of Canada, the Government of Ontario, the City of Ottawa, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, Carleton University, and CBC for their ongoing support. This podcast is produced by Aaron Flynn. Original music and sound engineering by Mike Dubé. Kira Harris is our program director. And I'm Sean Wilson. Thank you for listening. Thank you.